Our reading this evening is from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 to 16. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is God's word. Thanks, Kathy. Uh, there won't be any Q&A after this. Uh, if you'd like to ask me any questions afterwards, uh, please do feel free uh, to do that privately. But as we come to God's word now, uh, let me pray. Uh, Father God, we pray that you would help us, uh, that your spirit would illuminate your word to us, and that we, if we are not one of your children, Lord, that you would revive us, that you would make us alive. I pray that, Lord, that as I speak, that we would hear your words and not mine. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How did you become a Christian? Perhaps there was a moment in your life, perhaps there was that, that time in your life, you know exactly the day and the time when you became a Christian, when you believed in Jesus Christ for yourself. Maybe, though, it was more of a, a longer process, uh, like kind of passing through a dark tunnel, and all of a sudden you end up on the other side into the glorious light of Jesus Christ because you know that he loves you. He doesn't just love you in a general way, but he loves you personally. And the other question is, well, what does it actually mean to be a Christian? Has it to do with a feeling or an experience or maybe even a prayer that we've said to God a few years ago. Maybe you might point to your background, perhaps your denomination. Uh, that is, maybe you 
grew up in an Anglican denomination or Lutheran or Methodist or Baptist or Pentecostal or something else. Maybe it might be your family upbringing that you point to. Uh, you can't remember a time perhaps when you didn't actually go to church. You were always at church in some kind of church setting. There's lots of ideas on what it is and what it means to be a Christian. But as we look at understanding new birth, we'll see what Jesus says and therefore what it means for our lives, for your life and for mine today. As Neil mentioned, we're carrying on in our Foundations of Faith series this evening. And we looked at the doctrine of sin last week and we'll be looking at uh, the cross, uh, election, uh, uh, perseverance and providence in the coming weeks. Last week we saw that sin, sin is so powerful that it makes us dead, it makes us blind in our sin, and it enslaves us as well. But when we understand new birth, when we understand what it really means to be born again, we see that the Spirit of God awakens us to do the very opposite. The dead are made alive, the blind are given sight, and the enslaved are set free. And so firstly, the the dead are made alive. In the context of John 3, Jesus is speaking to a religious expert of the day, Nicodemus. He's described as a Pharisee, one of the teachers of the law to the people of Israel. But he's not just any Pharisee. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin, the top 70 teachers of Israel. In other words, in religious scholarship, he is the best of the best. And Nicodemus seems open to Jesus as he sees that Jesus has come from God because of the miraculous signs that he's doing. And yet when Jesus says to him that you must be born again, he is confused. He's confused by the statement and asks Jesus if he's talking about a second physical birth. He doesn't really understand He doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. And so Jesus answered him. He said, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Nicodemus thinks that he has to be reborn physically. But Jesus is speaking about being reborn spiritually. As without the Spirit of God working in us to bring us to new life, we are still dead in our trespasses and sins, as we heard last week. Jesus says that there is the physical birth, as the flesh gives birth to flesh, but there's also a spiritual rebirth, as the Spirit gives us new spiritual life. This is called regeneration. When the Spirit of God brings us to new life. Bringing us from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. And all this is a work of God as we are brought to new life by the Spirit and born again. The understanding of what it means to be born again is thrown around quite a lot in modern culture today. You might hear perhaps of film stars or sports people who are maybe described as being born again or reborn. Their previous life or career was taking a bit of a nosedive, 
And all of a sudden, they've had a return to form. They've got a lot better, and it seems like they've had a new lease of life. And they're described as being reborn, that things have been reborn. But the Bible's understanding of being reborn is far starker. Because it's not about being better or doing more, but about being transformed, about new birth. As the words of Jesus in verse 7 say, you must be born again. It means, therefore, that if a person would say they're a Christian, but they are not born again, that is a contradiction in terms. Because Jesus says that you must be born again. It's like saying you're an Englishman, but you're not English. It makes no sense. Perhaps what people mean by that is that they don't perhaps want to be associated with a culture. They don't want to be associated with the types of clothing or bracelets or having fish symbols on their cars. But it really has nothing at all to do with culture and everything to do with Christianity. As Jesus says that very truly, or in other words, listen to what I say. This is important. Listen to me. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so friends, to to put it bluntly, if you're not born again, you're not a Christian. And this is shocking to many people. It's shocking to Nicodemus as a member of the Sanhedrin, the best of the best in Israel. As Jesus says to him in verse 10, you're Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things. For us today, it means that some of us might come along to church, carry the name Christian, maybe even for decades, and yet still not be born again. You could surround yourself by religious things, by going to church, by doing good things, and yet not be born again. Earlier in the Gospel of John, John the Baptist describes regeneration or rebirth as being baptized in the Spirit. As John's baptism with water is an outward sign of repentance, but Jesus' baptism of the Spirit is an inward renewal. As God gives us life by the Spirit of God, and he works in us, making us alive. The Spirit, therefore, is not an add-on, but a fundamental, foundational part of salvation. God brings us from death to life by his spirit. And he does it so that we might see Jesus Christ in his glory. As the blind are given sight. The necessity of being born again and that it's not just a cultural idea cannot be stressed enough. As Jesus says in verse 3, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. To see the kingdom and therefore see the king, we need to be born again. As our greatest need is to have our spiritual eyes opened. As the worship song says, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Because our problem is that we are in darkness. 
As it says in Second Corinthians 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. That is, Satan has blinded the eyes of those who don't believe. As without the work of the Spirit opening our eyes to see, we can't see the beauty of Jesus Christ. In talking to others about Jesus, it's wonderful to share testimonies. It's wonderful to hear its stories. And we heard Anne's story this evening of how God worked in her life to open our eyes and see Jesus. I remember chatting to a fellow rugby coach many years ago as we were sharing stories about coming to know Jesus. And he shared his story of coming to faith. He said that he was invited along to an event, big event, uh, of around 150 to 200 people by a friend, guessing it was a girl. And she said to him, he, he said that when the speaker shared about what Jesus had done on the cross, he invited people in the audience to stand and receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And he thought the invitation to receive the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of heaven was so good not to respond to that he couldn't do anything else other than stand up. And he thought that everyone else in the whole room would stand up. But nobody else did. Only he did. And so often we want to see masses of people come to know Jesus, don't we? We long to see that. We want to see people know the Lord. And yet, the challenge is to admit that we're a sinner and that we need a savior. Well, that seems wild. And a man dying pinned to a Roman cross doesn't seem like one who gives life. It's not a natural or appealing picture of a savior king That is until the Spirit illuminates the beauty of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And this is the glorious work of the Spirit to reveal the glory of our Lord Jesus. The words of the hymn, Amazing Grace, speak so well of this, saying, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. That's what have we done to open our eyes to see Jesus? What do we do to be born? Nothing. We can't boast about being born. It happened to us. It happened outside of us. And so we we don't turn to God But he gives us new life that we would respond to him, that we would then turn to him. And God opens our eyes that we would see him and that he would give us new life. The spirit revives us to see Jesus in his beauty, his majesty and his glory. And all this is a gift. It's a gift of grace. As our eyes are opened To see the king. To see my saviour king. So the spirit brings us life. He opens our eyes. And the spirit enables us as the slaves are set free. 
As we saw last week in looking at the doctrine of sin, before Christ opens our eyes by his spirit, we are enslaved to our sinful desires, the desires of our flesh. As Jesus says, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. It means, therefore, that we don't need to be better people or try harder to be set free. But we need God to set us free. We need him to awaken us to see him. As we hear the word of God preached in the power of the spirit, we hear the voice of God speaking to us as his spirit applies his word to our hearts. As the spirit opens our eyes to see Jesus in the pages of scripture as we read it. As we hear the word of God spoken to us, we hear the voice of God, the external call of the gospel comes out to us in power. But it's only when we hear that internal call of the gospel, as the spirit works in our hearts, do we hear the voice of our heavenly father calling us home. As we hear the word of God, not, not in a general way, but in a personal way, as God is drawing us to himself for salvation. And this is what happened with the God-fearing woman Lydia in Acts 16. As it says there, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a, a worshiper of God, a, a God-fearer. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. It's truly amazing how God opens Lydia's heart to hear the gospel that Paul preaches to her. And this is what's called effectual calling or irresistible grace. As the spirit gives us life through the word coming to us. Now our hearts are changed by the spirit so that we can respond to choose Christ. So that in that sense, we're not saved against our will, against our will, but God transforms our will that we would trust in him. And we do this as Jesus calls his sheep by the preaching of the gospel. And all this, all this is a gift as he reaches into our dead, darkened and depraved hearts and breathes new life, new love and a new song in our hearts. And therefore we sing with great joy the third verse from Amazing Grace, which says, my chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, his mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. It means that now as believers, we have new hearts and new minds that delight in our Lord Jesus. Now as we sit under the word, we hear God's voice speaking to us personally. As we read scripture, we hear the voice of our heavenly father. As the spirit applies the word to our hearts, hearts which have been made alive by him. It means that as the old song says, I have decided to follow Jesus rings true as it is by putting our trust in Jesus that we are saved. 
It means, therefore, that in preaching or in doing a Bible study with someone or in having a conversation with someone, we should call them to make a decision for Jesus. We're calling them ultimately to repent and believe. That is to turn from sin and turn to Jesus and be saved. That is the definitive sign that regeneration or new birth has taken place. That faith and repentance is there. That they've turned away from sin and they turn to Jesus. That's what we're looking for as we talk to people. In some people's story, that is radical. Like my story, like Simon's as we heard the other day. It is a radical moment in your life where you see Jesus powerfully change you. But for others, it happens over time. The key thing isn't whether we can put our finger on a specific moment in time, but whether we have a sincere heart change. So I must ask you, has that heart change happened to you? It might not be a moment in your life, but there should be a heart change. To say in the depths of your heart, That Jesus loves me. And he gave himself for me. Can you say that in the depths of your heart? Do you know Jesus' love for yourself? Our decision is vital. And yet it's the spirit that works in us to give us life. The spirit works like the foundations of a house. You don't see the foundations. But without it. The house can't stand. And God works in us and we respond to the gospel call. As God gives us life through his word and by his spirit. All this is according to the will of God. Is the, the word used for wind or breath in John 3 is the word for spirit. And the wind blows wherever it pleases. And this is the case with everyone born of the spirit. That we don't decide to be born but it is God who decides it's our responsibility our role to preach the gospel to everyone to share the good news that Jesus saves that the spirit would bring life to people as we see in the gospel of Luke we we see why uh, Jesus came he came to accomplish something as it says in Luke chapter 4 From verse 16, when it says, Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as it was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is why Jesus came. He came to fulfill the words of Isaiah. He came to preach good news to the poor, to the spiritually poor, you and I. That the prisoners, the 
prisoners of sin would be set free and the blind, those blinded by sin, would be given sight. As he reads the scroll and hands it back, saying, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, why has it been fulfilled? Well, because as you, as you read there in verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is on him to preach the good news. The spirit of the Lord is on him to preach good news. But for us today, the spirit of the Lord is not on us, but in us to preach good news to all people. And what is that good news? It is this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We preach the good news of God's love that whoever believes in his son will have life. And therefore, don't look to yourself. Look to Jesus Christ and live. Look to Jesus Christ and live eternally. As we think about some applications, there are really two that jump out. The first one is a personal faith. It really means that being a born-again Christian is not a cultural thing. It doesn't matter what kind of background you come from, what kind of church background or non-church background you come from. That's not important. What is important is that you put your faith in Jesus. You trust in Jesus Christ. And don't look inside yourself to see how you might feel about it, but look to Jesus and see that he has accomplished it. Trust in him and be saved. And so clearly it is a personal faith, not a general one. And secondly, it should lead us to a passionate prayer life. People come to Christ as they hear the word of God and the spirit brings life. It means therefore that the Holy Spirit is not like an added gift to salvation, but fundamental to our salvation. If we truly believe the spirit's work is key in bringing people from death to life, we'll pray for them. We will pray. As Spurgeon says, to pray is to enter the treasure house of God to gather riches out of an exhaustible storehouse. And we want to enter God's treasure house and ask our Heavenly Father to bring those on our hearts from death to life, from blindness to sight, from slavery to freedom. As we ask the Lord to do a miracle in people's lives, that they would be granted the gift of new birth to see our Lord Jesus in all his splendor and glory. Before we, we close, I'd just love it if we could break into groups of the people around you, maybe twos, threes, fours, just as we think of praying for those on our hearts, and praying for those that they would be able to be brought from death to life, from blindness to sight, and from slavery to freedom. And so in our groups there, please do gather and uh, pray for those on your heart. But maybe you're not trusting in Jesus. It's a great opportunity this evening to reflect on that.
for yourself to see what that would mean to trust him and be born again. So in your groups there, um, please do gather around with someone close to you and pray for those on your heart. And then uh, Neil will come and lead us in communion. If you can bring your prayers to a close. It's been a wonderful reminder this evening that through Jesus' death and resurrection that we're about to celebrate now, that uh, we've been made alive, we have received sight, we have been set free. It's all by his irresistible grace. And without Jesus' death and resurrection, none of that would be, would be possible. Let me read again those verses that Anne shared with us that uh, have been important to her from Colossians 2. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Let's give thanks for the bread and the cup. Father God, we do thank you for these symbols that we are about to partake in. The bread which represents Jesus' body broken for us. The wine which represents his blood poured out for us. We thank you that this one perfect sacrifice was sufficient to deal with all of our sins, past, present and future. Thank you as you looked at Christ's sacrifice. All our sins were taken away. And our guilt was nailed to the cross. Thank you for our innocence. Thank you for our freedom. Thank you that we can celebrate them now. In Jesus' name. Amen.